Well, that was your catch-up video to our summer series, Church on the Go. We've been taking a look at the early church and how God has moved through them in a powerful way and, and has really transformed the church from a, a building to a movement and how God used in, in different ways to build that momentum and to build God's church. Uh, we had an awesome event this last Sunday night, The Amazing Race. Several of you participated in that. It was a lot of fun. I have to tell you, Amazing Race basically is like a glorified scavenger hunt and uh, you know, I've, I've been with teenagers in this kind of events before, and they really get into it, but it, it went to another level when it was just adults that can drive vehicles. Uh, if you're on the roads last Sunday night in Houston, oh, wow, you, you're very fortunate because uh, it, was, it got a little wild and crazy with some of the uh, different uh, stops they went on. We had a winning team. I, I believe the, the, the name of the team was the Yellow Jackets, Paul Ford's group won. There they are. Yeah. It's very impressive, and uh, there is a couple of funny pictures that are out there, and a really, really funny video Randy Meeks has. It is America's home video quality funny. Uh, I'm just going to throw that out there, and uh, so see Randy after service if you'd like to. to th we couldn't play it because we just we didn't want to embarrass anyone, Steve. Um, <laughs> But you can ask him about that afterwards. This last week, I had the opportunity to go. Hopefully, you've gone this summer somewhere fun. Uh, I got to go to Chicago, uh, the holy land, if you will, for certain places. And my buddy Daniel had these, all these points because he travels all the time. And he says, calls me and my friends up and says, hey, I've got all these points. I'm going to fly everybody to Chicago. We're gonna, I'm going to pay for the flights, the hotel. We're going to go to Wrigley Field for two games. Are you interested? Yes, I am, definitely. That's a no-brainer there, as I call it. So we went to Chicago for two days, my four buddies. We took the city in. We went to what was formerly known as the Sears Tower. Now it's the Willis Tower guy with a lot of money, uh, decided to rename it, and uh, went to the very top of the Willis Tower. There it is, the view from there. That was, uh, I had, you know, head against the glass kind of moment there, and then they actually have the, the, the lookout tower, the sky deck. Have you seen this? I'm going to be honest with you. As I'm taking this picture, I have my hand on something very firm uh, and solid, but uh, those are cars down below. Woo, and there's a river. It's very, very tall stuff uh, and scary. Uh, saw the stock exchange, saw the art institute. I interrupted a, a parade and uh, sang the song, Shake It. What was the song? Shouts. You got to make me want to shout. There was a second song, wasn't there? Hmm, going to have to rewatch. We know what we're talking about, right? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay. Uh, there was no, there were no stealing of Ferraris though, so that did not happen. But went to Wrigley Field, which is amazing if you've never been before. The first night uh, we sat in the stands against the Padres. If you saw the highlights, it was disgusting. 13 to 3, the Padres won. It was terrible, typical Cubs. But on the second day, we got to see the rivals hated Cardinals play, and uh, fortunately, we have a couple of extra Cardinal fans this morning, and uh, I'm thankful for that, but we sat in the bleachers at Wrigley Field. There we are, right on uh, the fence. If 
you know anything about baseball, Wrigley Field, but they have this field that, and the, the wall is solid uh, brick, and there's ivy, known for the ivy. It's the, one of the oldest fields in baseball. It's over 100 years. This is actually the year celebrating 100 years uh, of baseball there. And so got to just soak that in and uh, just a glorious day out there at, at, at Wrigley. There are several traditions that are, are there. Uh, one of those when an opponent hits a ball into the stands, into the bleachers, uh, to the bleacher bums as they're, they're known, uh, then you have a decision to make. Okay? So, for example, the Cardinals, the hated Cardinals, hit a home run. Like you have the ball because there's a dilemma here that you're, everyone's dream when you go to a baseball game is to, to catch a ball. Now, pre-game, we, we went to batting practice, and my buddy Mark Snodgrass, he is just, you know, as an adult, you know, you shouldn't really bring a glove to a game because that's kind of a kid thing. But uh, I have personally witnessed my friend Mark take a ball off of a kid's stomach that pick it and pick it up, and, and t- that's how valuable a foul ball is, okay? I, I, I don't, no judgment, I'm just saying it happened. Uh, but you have a dilemma there because you get a ball, and you're like, well, I want to keep that ball. Or you should really probably give it to a kid, you know how that goes, because that's the right thing to do. So we're in the middle of this game, and uh, there's a home run. That, I don't know if you know this, but the Cubs won that game, 7-6. to six. Uh, there, but in the fifth inning, a guy by the name of Matt Holliday hits a home run, and it's coming right at me. This is going to be my moment, okay? And then it starts to kind of sail a little bit. It's about five feet up this direction, and I would have gotten there except for there was a woman and her family, and <laughs> the decision to tackle this woman, uh, I just could not deal with that uh, personally. But if you go and look at the video uh, highlight, you can see my friend trying to tackle me and the woman to get to this ball. Gentleman catches the ball, okay? And you can just see it racing in his mind, like, I really want this ball. I, I, I do. But then the, tr- the crowd gets into it, throw it back, throw it back, and they're just chanting and yelling. So the, kid, the guy's like in this major moment, and the pressure is there. And then the names start to come, uh, which can't be repeated in church. And uh, so the, the, the guy, I don't know if this was brilliance or just, or what it was, but he found the first kid. It was like this little boy, and he gives him the ball. Now the crowd's like, oh, well, the kid, you know. And the kid, you know, and so the guy's, I've I've accomplished the mission. The kid's got the ball. His eyes light up. He's like, this is the greatest moment. Teenage brother grabs the ball (laughs) out of his globe and hurls it on the field. (laughs) And the crowd goes wild. Woo, yeah. I look back. Little boy. Dad now is like, I can see it on his face, like, what am I going to do for the rest of the game now? <laughs> Went to the bathroom a little earlier, heard the kid crying in the bathroom. Man, dilemma, conflict. Ooh, sometimes we have to deal with things like that. Conflict is, is around us sometimes, intention and different things. And we face those things. And, and we have conflict all the time. How do you handle conflict? How do you handle tension? You know, there are different things, different ways. Some of you guys embrace conflict. You enjoy debating. You enjoy kind of 
butting heads about issues and things. Some of you are like pretty passive. I'm like, don't want to have anything to do with conflict. You're kind of to the side. I, I basically think, you know, all of us kind of get to that place where there's conflict. There's different models. Maybe one of you, you, you fit one of these things in the room. There are yellers. You get into arguments and situations where there's different opinions and there's, there are people that are yell. They're the Bobby Knights of the world. That They're the real uh, bulls in a china shop kind of, uh, kind, of, kind of people. And so I'll get my way by yelling louder. Whoever yells the loudest wins. Or you have the micro-machine conflictors who are like, if I can talk the most, if I can say the most and not let anyone else talk, then my way will be be heard, and I will get what I, I want. Then there's just the, the people that are physical. As soon as there's conflict, let's go. It's go time, all right? Uh, after school, you and me uh, in the back kind of thing. Then there are the intellectuals. Or let's, I'm going to make sure that you know, and everyone else in the room knows, that I am the smartest person in the room, all right? And so I'm going to outthink you when a debate or a, a fight comes. And there's the, the kind of the Yodas that are, I'm going to Answer your question with a question, and it will in turn make you, you think of what the right thing to do is. Or there are those who are very passive-aggressive. Now, some of you moms are very, very good at this. When there's a decision that needs to be made, there's conflict and debate, you know, that you throw in some kind of line about Africa or uh, where food should go or, well, you could do this or you can do this. And then you, you know what the right answer there is. Then you have just the people that just want peace all the time. Kumbaya, why are we fighting? And then you have those who are the people that are, 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 are quiet stuffers. They're in the middle of conflict and debate and they're having the conversation in their mind this is what I would say. And then after the meeting, they have the real meeting, the, the one that really counts. Well, this is what we should have done. The kind of quiet stuffers in the middle of conflict. As the church is growing in Acts, we come to these chapters in 14 and 15, and you cannot get past the fact that there's conflict that's happening. If you want to turn your Bible uh, there, it's Acts 14 and 15, and uh, there's several situations we're going to look at here where the church comes in, in, into conflict and they arise and, and having to make decisions. And Acts 14, 1 through 7 is where we're going to start. We're talking about Paul, we're talking about Barnabas. This is what it says. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached. They're trying to tell people about this good news of Jesus. And Greeks became believe, Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and to stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and to Derbe and the surrounding areas. And there they preached the good news. So Paul and Barnabas are going from town to town, as we talked about last week, they're pointing people to Jesus like a good road sign. And they're trying to, to preach in a way that people can understand. And when that happens, all throughout the book of Acts, 
people receive that good news and they become followers of Christ. And in every situation, some people reject it. Some people reject it. And what happens here? When these Jewish folks in the area, they reject the gospel, they begin to rile up a crowd. They rile up a crowd and they get angry and, and they want to stone Paul and Barnabas. Uh, when, back to Wrigley Field. <laughs> I, I'm second row from the, the fence. And of course, well, side note, you got to know that there's another tradition at Wrigley Field in the bleachers. People randomly take their shirts off. Uh, guys, guys do. Um, I think, I think <laughs> it's mostly guys. But guys take their shirts off randomly because it's sunny and, and all that stuff and enjoying the game. Well, today was a little cooler, a little windier. There weren't, I didn't see anyone with their shirts off, thank goodness. And... But the guys in front of me decided, you know what? Obviously, they weren't from Chicago. There were three of the, the gentlemen that were there. Two of them decided, hey, let's do it. Let's do it. And they take their shirts off. Third guy sitting right in front of me. He's like, nah, I'm going to pass on. I'm not, you know, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't want to do it. Well, these two guys are the only two guys now in the bleachers that have their shirts off, are pressuring their friends to try to take his shirt off. Hey. And you begin, the names begin to, to come. They can't be repeated in church. And uh, the pressure and the, the, the your mamas and uh, slapping in the back of the head and just different things that were happening just to pressure this guy to take his shirt off. Now, in the middle of all this, I interjected and said, hey, dude, as the guy that's sitting behind you, I want to encourage you to keep your shirt on for the rest of this, this game for my benefit. But finally, after all this name-calling, the guy bows down to pressure, he takes his shirt off, and the other guys celebrate in, in the fact that they persuaded this, this guy to do that. And uh, kind of uh, as I look at this story in, in, in Acts, it seems like when the masses are in favor of something, sometimes we revert to some pretty negative tactics. Name-calling, pressure, guilt to try to get someone to think or to believe or do something we think is right. Unfortunately, we look in our own church history, there's some situations that we're guilty of those same tactics. It's scary. Now, interestingly enough, later on in the game, uh, they looked around and said, hey, we're the only ones without our shirts off. And they, they put their shirts back on until the, Cubs, until the Cubs scored at the very end and they decided to take their shirts off again. Uh, but if you use the world's tactics, things that are, are negative and, and wrong to persuade someone, it, it's, it, it's not right. It's not Christ-like. We, we see that, it's kind of played out in the story of, of Zacchaeus. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man and a wee little man. We, we're just name callers for a long time now, I guess. He was a wee little man. And what happens? Jesus comes into town. This guy is the tax collector. He is the one that uh, has been stealing from the, the community for a while. He's, he's getting rich on other people, and people can't stand him for that reason. And uh, so Jesus comes into town, and what happens? He wants to see this Jesus. He wants to know this Jesus. And, and, and we know that Jesus 
he, he doesn't have to get the, the, the rundown on every person in town. He knows who this person is because he's Jesus. And so what does he say? He says, hey, I, I want to go to your house today. I want to go to your house today. And he spends time with Zacchaeus. How, how does Jesus persuade? He does it with love. He does it with mercy and compassion. Jesus isn't a name caller. Jesus needed a pressurer. He believes in people and thus changes lives. What happened to Zacchaeus? He gave, he believed, and, and thus changed his behavior along the way. We should follow Christ's example and, and be Christ-like in the way that we argue, that we persuade and try to help people to come to know Christ. So the gospel, that's what this is all about. It's about sharing the gospel because if we get distracted on side issues, because that's kind of our thing sometimes. We get distracted on things that are not the primary thing that, that we can dilute the gospel. What is the gospel? Great little video that just kind of gives us a, a quick uh, thought on what the gospel is all about. The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solnus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. This is the good news that Paul is trying to share with the world. And that's our mission, to share this good news, this gospel with the world. And sometimes we get distracted. And when we engage the world, we get distracted on things are not the primary mission. And we get into discussions and debates that can, can distract from really what God's trying to do through us as a people. And so Paul has this moment, and he moves on. There's a time and a place to talk about issues. There's a time and a place to debate. And that's what we're going to find in Acts chapter 15. It's the next scene where Christians are debating over issues. So Acts chapter 15 says this, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch in Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, 
you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So here's what's going on. They, are having, they had this sharp dispute. The dispute is this. There are Jewish people that were a part of the, the church, and suddenly all these Gentiles are coming in. So what do we do? How do we live together? How do we function? And when that happens, things come up. And uh, so the big issue of the time is, well, Gentiles, well, they need to become Jewish in ritual before they can become a part of the church. They, they need to be circumcised. They need to have these ritual cleansing things that we need to do and eat only certain things uh, to be a part of the church. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they get really upset about this. They, 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 they believe this is something that, that needs to be talked about. And so there is a, a big council that meets. And discussion is a good thing within the church. A couple of weeks ago, there were two life groups that came together. And... Uh, to be honest, the two kind of two different generational life groups, and they came together to talk about different issues, like homosexuality, about what the church should think about immigration, racism, and other religions. And from what I hear, it was a great discussion back and forth, a learning time, and that needs to take place. And that's really what's happening here. People are coming together to talk about this. What should we do? What should we think? And that's happened throughout our, our, our history. We've had these different ecumenical councils that have come together and have formed very formative things for how we should believe and how we should think along the way. In fact, there's a statement that just kind of tells what we believe. It's kind of a succinct statement. It's called the Apostles' Creed. It's 1,700 years old, and there's some very basic beliefs that are in there. And, and if you don't mind just reading that with me, we're going to put it on the screen. It says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And this, within this creed, are some pretty fundamental beliefs that we share with, with, with the church. These are fundamental things that, that we believe. Now, there are some other things that we believe in that are not covered in, in this, this statement. We have a manual that talks about a lot of these things within the Church of the Nazarene. And one of the things that I love about the Church of the Nazarene is that under certain topics, there's space for discussion. There's a place where we can talk and say, well, we don't know ex exactly What's going to happen, for example, like the end times? We know that Jesus is going to come back. Now, how that's going to look, specifics on the end, we can talk about that. We can have dialogue with that. With something like the atonement, there's different theories of what happened on the cross. And there, there's truth in all of those. So we can talk about that, that we don't have to say this is, this is the, the it with that. There's other issues that we should talk about and discuss. And that's really what the church, they're, they're, they're working out what's, what's to think here in this, in this time. So they come together in Jerusalem. And the sole issue is all about this, these, 
different rituals and, and what they should do. There's the moral law, and, and, and then there's the, the ceremony, the cleansing uh, laws that they have. The moral law, we think Ten Commandments, okay? We're not, we're not talking about those laws. We're talking about the rituals, the, 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 the different things with food. And so they begin to debate these things, and it really it, it comes down to, to two questions. And the question is this, is anything that needs to be added to the gospel of Christ in order for people to be saved? Is there anything that someone needs to do before they become Christians? And the other question is this, if the Gentiles, they don't have to become Jews, then, then how are we going to have fellowship together? I mean, we come from two different neighborhoods. How are we going to, to, to interact together? How are we going to, to live? And so we have a little bit of that, that dialogue here in, in Acts 15, and we can read together. It says this, So the apostles and the elders, they met to resolve this issue. And at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed, addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news, the gospel, and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are we now challenged by challenging God by burning, burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through, uh, through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and he said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from the, them a people for himself. And after this conversation uh, conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, afterward, I will return and I will restore the fallen house of David. I will build its ruins and restore it so the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He, has, he who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So what's happening here? Basically, we've got a couple of sides that are debating this issue, and Peter is the first one to come up. And he basically begins to describe this conversion experience for the Gentiles. And how there, there wasn't a need to be circumcised. There wasn't a need to become Jewish, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be saved. That that is an act of work, not an act of grace. We don't have to do something to be saved. God has done it for us. That's what salvation is all about. That's what the cross is all about. And he shares these stories of, of how the Gentiles were converted. And they didn't need to be circumcised. They didn't need to begin to do something before. And so he gives these examples. And then Paul and Barnabas jump in and say, we've seen the same thing. We've seen the Spirit come upon people and, and to be saved. Now, in our tradition, John Wesley is a theologian who, who had these really four principles that as we think about debate and we think about issues and how we should form our thought and opinion on things, he gives us four things. It's Scripture. Scripture is the foremost of how we should develop what we think uh, about different things, about different issues. 
The other thing is reason. When we reason out things, using our mind, there's experience, there's tradition, tradition that we have within the church and using uh, hundreds of, of years, now thousands of years uh, of church history and, and what our forefathers have taught us. So they're using scripture, and that's what you hear with James when he gives this response. And he says, the Gentiles don't need to do anything. We have scripture that has told us from the beginning that they're to be included in this, to be included. And so he actually quotes prophets when he has that, 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 that part about in scripture. And he talks about these experiences, and they're reasoning out, and, and they make this, this declaration. And then at the end, he says, well, there's a couple of things that we want to, to, to have. There's that, that letter, and, and he says this, that, that uh, you should abstain for certain things, from, from eating the meat of strangled animals and consuming blood. It doesn't include circumcision in this. So, so why is this, these, these certain things that he add to the end that, that we should be modeling as Gentiles? By the way, we're, we're Gentiles, by the way. I don't know if you know that. But uh, so why did he add these things? Well, that gets back to the second question. If the Gentiles don't have to become Jewish, we, we don't have to become Jewish, then how are we going to fellowship with one another? How are you going to sit down at a table together when you firmly di disagree about certain things? What he's trying to tell the, the church is this. There are certain things that we have freedom, but we shouldn't exercise our freedom all the time. We shouldn't exercise our freedom all the time. The easy illustration on this is, is the issue of, of alcohol and drinking alcohol. I, I have to tell you, you're not going to be able to find a verse in the Bible that says, do not drink alcohol. It, it, it's not there. Now, I can argue with you about the wisdom of drinking and about the effects of drinking. I saw them firsthand back to Wrigley Field, back to the bleachers, Okay, back to those guys that were in front of me with their shirts off, with kids on both sides. And the language that was used, the more drinks that were consumed, the stories that were told, and how we influence others around us. There is definitely scripture that says that getting drunk is, is wrong, it's sinful. And there are some that, that can drink without doing harmful things. But I know this, and I made this decision pretty early in my life, and I'm very thankful. Because I've seen the effects of alcohol on people's lives. The things that people say. The things that people do. In the middle of the game, my, my buddy Daniel goes to the restroom, and it's like, there's, there's a guy in the, in the bathroom. He's passed out. The paramedics are trying to, to, to revive him. I mean, he's sitting there in a pool of, of whatever. Um, you know those stories. Um, we have freedoms. There's, there, there's, a, there's an article that was in Christianity Today. It's a great article. It's basically about why I chose not to drink. And it comes from the perspective of someone that grew up in the conservative kind of movement and was taught not to drink but then once they got, out of, got to school, they decided, you know what, I've got these freedoms. I can be a Christian. I can drink. Saw some of the negative effects. Moved into a community where alcoholism just made its way through families and ruined lives. And as a person that was trying to preach and to teach and live the gospel out, she made the choice not to drink. 
when you sit down with, with others and you encourage that we have a hand in that, when others see our lives and what we, we do, there's a, there's, a, there's a choice that we can make to not drink for, for the right reasons, to, to not hurt someone else's relationship, someone else's walk. And to be quite honest, honest our own walk with Christ. Choices and how we discuss and debate issues. There uh, is a time and a need to engage issues with the world. We should be engaging the world with the gospel. But sometimes we get sucked into different issues, don't we? Talking about the things that are not the main thing, which the gospel is the main thing. And when we do, we have those conversations, when we have those subjects, and those subjects come out all the time on the news. We see them everywhere. In fact, there is an issue that's just pervasive right now in our culture, the, the conversation about homosexuality, how the church should view and what people should think about homosexuality and, and, and gay marriage. And uh, this last couple of weeks, I, I really began to think about that more, and, and I don't want to hijack the service or the sermon with this, but as we think about how we interact with people on issues like that, I, I saw two examples in the last few weeks. I saw someone in the midst of a presentation with, I'm sure, all the good intentions of the world talk about how homosexuality, according to Scripture, is, is sinful, it's wrong. The tone in which they took, to be quite honest, was embarrassing. It was bombastic. It was sarcastic. It was filled with Adam and Steve-like jokes. Tone that shouldn't be taken. And thankfully, everyone in the room, I believe, recognized that that day. When, when something like this hits close to home, it doesn't matter what the, the topic is, opinions change. I, I had a student once that would throw the word gay out all the time. All the time. Call people that and uh, just use it as an insult until he found out that his sister came out. I was there the, the, the day that he found that out, and he was at a theme park, and suddenly he began to hear the words that he'd been using. And I, I was almost like a, I was a, a spectator to it. In the middle of a line at Universal Studios, just a random place, tears began to flow down of his eyes. I heard another presentation about the topic. Chaplain at ENC, his name's Corey McPherson, a couple of years ago, he, he talked about what God thinks about homosexuality. And he spends 35 minutes, and it's a great listen. You can find it, uh, you can probably Google it. And he basically talks about, he starts off, I wanted to get these right. He says, starts off with two statements. He says, uh, for those who struggle with this issue, and I make this statement for you today, or know someone that's struggling with this issue, and we know when, when we know somebody, it changes everything. I have a friend, you know, we had four friends that went to Chicago. We had a fifth suite mate. He was getting married uh, to his male partner in New York on Saturday. And he says these two statements, Corey does, at the beginning of this, and, and just thinking about all that. You are loved and cared for, and highly valued by the community, and we are thankful for you. We recognize that we have much to learn about how to care for and disciple you. And I feel like that is a statement that my friends and I were thinking about 
as we were trying to learn how to care and disciple and, and to speak love and truth to people. And you are deeply valued by our Lord Jesus Christ. And he went on for the next 35 minutes to talk about, about people that he knew and hurts. And he says this with, with tears in his eyes. And he says this, I cannot, as we look at how we form what we believe, I cannot look at the scope of Scripture and find one place that affirms a homosexual lifestyle. But we serve a God and know a God that loves and, and wants to reach out with the gospel and has called us to do the same thing. It's called us to take the position of Christ, to be humble, to be broken as we present this loving gospel. Two different ways to present something and amazing impact of, of the two different things. How will we engage the world? When it comes to areas of, of dispute, how do we engage the world? Do we, we talk about the gospel and this loving Jesus, or do we get stuck on these issues? And in the same time, we don't, very, very, we don't look very Christ-like. Who are we going to be when we get to these positions of, of debate? The worship band's going to come. And as they're coming... Uh, one other scene, and I'm going to talk about it really quickly. Uh, there's a scene in, in the end of, of Acts chapter 15, and it's Paul and Barnabas. And uh, they get into a dispute about John Mark. Basically, John Mark has, has left the, them a couple of chapters earlier. You find this, that John Mark left the, the evangelistic team to go back home. We don't know the details. We don't know what happened. We don't know if he just got scared or got tired or got homesick for mama, but uh, he decides to go back home. Well, there's a pretty sharp dispute uh, between uh, the two when Paul and Barnabas basically have a decision as they're about to go out again. Barnabas says, hey, let's get John Mark on board with this, uh, this mission. And Paul says, hey, remember this guy? He left us. I don't think that's a good idea. Well, they have a sharp dispute there about what they should do. Now, we don't know much more details from that, but basically we know that those two parted ways. And Paul took Silas, Barnabas took John Mark, and, and you know, what was said there, but it was a sharp debate. And they basically agreed to disagree. Now, further scripture tells us there's not a lot of interaction between the two in the future, but they are on good terms. Paul talks about Barnabas in a, in a, in a good way. And he talks about actually John Mark in a good way in, in other areas of scripture. But I wonder, if they could go back, I wonder what, how they would have done things differently in that conversation. You ever wish that you could go back and have a conversation differently and change the things that you said or the way that you interacted when disputes or things came up? I don't know where you're at right now uh, in relationship to others and how you have interacted with people in your life. Maybe you come this morning, and to be honest, you can think of someone, man, that there's this conflict, that you've created this, there's this tension, or maybe they've created it. I know one thing that we, as Christ followers, have to follow a creed of being right with God and being right with others. He makes that, that pretty clear throughout Scripture. So maybe today, as we get ready to sing one last song about, about faith, give me faith, maybe it's a, a chance to, in your heart and your mind, to say, God, what do I need to do? How do I need to interact with the world or with others as we 
we come in conflict with others because it's going to happen. How can I be like you? Father, thank you for this day. God, I, I pray that you... God, I pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. I pray that we would speak with grace. I pray that we would interact with people with mercy and love and compassion. God, it's it's so easy to be a stone caster. It's so easy to be a name caller. It's so easy, uh, Lord, to just fit into the crowd of pressure. Lord, it's so easy just to follow the winds of the time and just whatever everyone else believes, I'm going to believe. God, I, I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom. Help us to find our theology, find our views about you through your word, through your community, Lord, through conversation, Lord. God, I pray that you would convict us when we need to be convicted, Lord. I pray that... God, you would help us think about every word that comes out of our mouths as we interact with the world, God. So we're called on a mission to, to, to spread the gospel, to tell people about your love and your forgiveness and your grace that frees us. That is the good news. Lord, I pray, God, that you would be with relationships in this room today, God, as we think about these different scenarios and, and, and things, Lord. And we know that, Lord, there's so much temptation in our world in the midst of conflict, to be ourselves and, and, and just to, to, to fight and to find reasons to be upset. Lord, I pray that you would give peace and grace. Lord, I pray that you would bond relationships, that you would heal wounds between family members, between, between spouses today, between brother and sister, Lord, between friends. God, I pray that we would take the first step of grace as you have given that so freely to us. Jesus, as we, we worship today, God, I pray that our hearts would be on you, that you would give us clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, as we spread your gospel throughout this world, we pray these things in your name. Amen.